0: Welcome back to GEMS podcast with Genesis Amaris Kemp with me today is Jerry Fu and here's a bit about Jerry he is definitely a man on a mission y'all he's a conflict resolution coach for Asian American leaders. He discussed free flowing, nuanced discussions on various topics. He goes deep into the conversation, not just at a surface level, but he goes deep diving so he could learn more about culture, travel, dancing, cooking, music, as well as a whole bunch of other things because he wants to make sure that he really understands who an individual is so he could best help them. And I want to know more about. Why Jerry does what he does. So, without further ado, welcome Jerry Fu to Gems Podcast.
1: Hi Genesis, thanks for having me.
0: Thank you, Jerry. So, Jerry, I want you to tell us a little bit more about yourself because who knows you better than you?
1: <laughs> yeah, we have the experts on our own lives, even when other people, you know, try to insist otherwise, right? Especially the ones closest to us. But uh, yeah, I think um, a big reason I do what I do is that I see a lot of things in, my, in the culture I grew up with that really didn't translate well to effective leadership um, in the workplace. You know, when you have a culture that wants the guests to save face and doesn't want to bring up conflict for fear of antagonizing them, even when um, having a, a small you know, disagreement that you can resolve quickly is better for the long-term health of the relationship, Um, you know, that leads to problems long-term later on, right? Sometimes people just would rather drop a friendship rather than, you know, get in any kind of situation that might be uncomfortable. Um, You know, other things about Asian culture, right? They're very much authority is top-down, right? Um, You know, what mom and dad say you need to do if, you know, they're paying your bills and they're covering your education, uh, they expect you to do it, right? But, you know, when you get onto the workplace, just telling people what to do, you know you get a lot more pushback right unless you know you really bring the hammer and say well you know do this or you're fired and then that's never even if they conform to what you know or you think you know is best for the company um, they don't do it with a willing and and you know motivated heart right and so in my own struggles to navigate you know the the good and bad of 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 asian culture and then getting into a workplace and realizing hey my aversion to conflict is not Working out well to resolve this situation, whether it's with a client or an employee or a boss, you know, help me, you know, I need some help in in terms of how to, you know, handle these better. And so in my own journey to uh, get better through continual struggle and failure, hey, you know what, maybe I can make this road a little bit easier for the next person up, you know, um, for people to, hey, you know, I'm, I can't take away your challenges, you know, then you don't have a chance to grow, but maybe I help you navigate them a little better. And so you have a higher degree of success uh, early on. So you can spare yourself uh, some needless fights and and failures.
0: I appreciate that you said um, about your culture, because sometimes growing up in a culture that's not necessarily the American culture, it takes you a lot longer to navigate in a sense and the reason why I said that is because I am South American and Caribbean descent so it is a lot like the Asian culture like whatever your parent says goes and it's golden but I've always been the one that's like but why but why and I asked the questions and sometimes my mom who's Caribbean would tell me oh if I were to ask my mother that there would be no discussion you just do as you're told and I feel like in this this in this society that we're in questions are made to ask because that's a way that people learn and grow and they they're growing personally as well as professionally and you mentioned the asian community and i'm very well very aware of the asian community because some of our best friends are vietnamese we've known them for over 12 12 years and whenever my father passed they came to my dad's funeral and people started to look crazily because they're like who are all these asian people and i was like oh that's my family because they started out being our next door neighbors in our older neighborhood and then they moved and then we moved and we still remained the friendship and we learned a lot about you know the vietnamese culture they learned about you know the caribbean and south american culture and etc and we were able to kind of see how the cultures intersect in a sense and also talk about the differences And it's so funny that you mentioned what you shared. So Jerry, what was it like growing up in your household because your parents are Asian and then you are Asian American, right?
1: Yeah, I was born in the U.S. and then grew up here.
0: So talk about that. And then we're going to go further into your professional background before you got into coaching.
1: Sure. Sure. Yeah. My parents are from Taiwan. Um, they met there, they got married there and then um, they decided to both go to the U S for graduate school. And they decided that, uh, you know, they'd rather take a chance here at a better life for themselves rather than deal with some of the ongoing drama with China and other things uh, that were going back on in Taiwan, even, even back then. And so, Uh, Coming over here was obviously a big risk for them and, you know, the, but they, you know, they want to take it and, you know, so success in their minds, right. They take this idea of a deferred life plan. You could say, right. This is, this is the way they were taught. This is what they believe was, was acceptable and, and beneficial and satisfactory to them. Right. Work hard, give, um, you know, to the kids that you have and trust that they're going to do the same for their kids. Right. And then just lather, rinse, repeat, until so apparently the whole world is populated with people of your surname, right? That's just basically the trajectory of that, of that life plan. And, you know, when they come over here, right, they need money, they need credibility. Okay, what's the quickest way to do that? Hey, become an engineer, become a doctor, become some respected professional, where even if they don't like your race, they still have to address you as doctor or a professional. And so, um, you know, those are some of the big priorities early on and right. Um, once that's been established though, what do you do for your kids? Right. How do you motivate them to trust that? that's still you know what was successful for them is still going to be successful for us right how do we why, why do we even hang on to that definite success right and you mentioned wait why are we even doing this right why am i banking away money for a life that i may not even be able to enjoy right as much as we talk about the value of delayed gratification right at the same time what if your health fails you know by the time you accumulate enough money to have some level of autonomy for yourself right um and there's so you have this balance of hey, how do I enjoy what I have now, even as I'm working toward a bigger future? And so, um, you know, growing up, my parents did everything they could to give me a you know a carefree childhood, even as I you know started to get you know grades in elementary school and all that stuff. And, and even though I was living in Wisconsin at the time, you know, there weren't a lot of Asians there. There were some handfuls of of racial you know like. Uh, remarks and discrimination, things like that, nothing big, but, you know, you could tell the prejudices were there. And then, um, I think things really flipped the switch when we moved to Tennessee, when I started sixth grade, my dad's job kind of took them around to different places. And so when school started to get serious, that's when my parents started to get serious about, Hey, you know, learn an instrument, join the orchestra, you know, um, here's all these SAT prep books. We expect you to practice this every, every weekend, you know, I get it, you know, Saturday morning cartoons only go so far, <laughs> but, you know, you still want to enjoy some, right? You got to have that balance of, okay, hard work and then play. Got it. Um, and so, yeah, I remember when my mom saw my PSAT scores my sophomore year and decided that they weren't nearly high enough. And that's when they really hit the panic button that I had to step up my game. And so thankfully by the time I took the real SAT, you know, I, things kind of course corrected a little bit, but um. Yeah, basically, I saw the gamut from, yeah, hey, let's give let's give kids a chance to be kids. But when the stakes are higher, hey, you got to step up your game. And um, from there, though, the, the problem with helicopter parenting, right, is that the kids don't really learn to handle their own business, right? Because when I went to college away from the influence of my mom, where she was you know, making sure I stayed on track and making sure that I didn't waste too much time playing video games or watching football. Right. All of a sudden I had to do this for myself and I was in a university where there were already kids that were, I have several classmates that were already very motivated and disciplined on their own. And so you start to realize, Oh, I have a lot more work to do um, in terms of that. And so, uh, but yeah, basically that was the household I grew up in is where um, you know, the tactics they use to motivate kids is, you know, not great, right? Tell them they're stupid, and t- and so they maybe work hard, so they don't have to like, so we don't have to call them stupid anymore, right? That's basically it. Like if we uh, give them too much affection, they might get complacent, so we're going to hold on to that until they really work toward these things, and so next thing you know, right? It sucks until you start getting, you know, academic awards or good grades and then they start to kind of ease up and then you're just kind of addicted to this approval right you're just like oh i'm so i i love the accolades that come with getting good grades and addicted to achievement and everything else like that but then you know after that kind of after you get over over that high like what do you do for yourself right how do you feel satisfied unless you keep going and going and going Um, and so yeah on one hand i appreciated the value of hard work on the other hand i didn't know what i was really working for
0: Wow, that's really real there. And I want to thank you, Jerry, for just being transparent and being vulnerable and just sharing about that, because, you know, there are a lot of other cultures that are similar to the Asian culture and very status driven, like I've seen in the African culture, they're very status driven, everything is educational, you're either a nurse, a doctor, an engineer, or whatever, similar to some of the Caribbean cultures and et cetera. And then some of those kids, they lack the viable social skills because they're always seeking approval and validation from their family. And if they don't tick to what their parents want them to do, then they feel like they're a failure. When in actuality, each one of us was uniquely created. We all have something amazing that we're good at. And sometimes when you try to explain that to your parents, your parents are like, you know, they're not wanting to listen to it because they feel like it's a debate. They feel like I provide a roof over your head. I provide food on the table. I make sure you have clothes on your back to wear shoes on your feet and the necessities. And this is my household until you start paying some bills, then we can have a discussion or whatnot. (laughs) And I feel like That pushes kids away versus having them draw into you, in my opinion. I'm not a mother yet, and my husband and I don't have any kids, but I could see it from the effects of growing up in a household that was similar to that, and that's one thing I really resonated about my dad because he was... Um, from Curacao. My dad passed last year, but he was very open to my different creativity because when I graduated high school, Jerry, I didn't really want to go to college. I wanted to go to acting school because I love theater and drama and et cetera. And my dad supported me up until the point where I got selected for IMTA LA, which is the international model talent agency. And I wanted to go to LA to perform in front of the who's of who's. And when my dad found out that it was $5,000, he's like, if they want you that bad, they will pay $5,000 for you to come. Your mother and I are not taking $5,000 to send you to LA, where you may not even get selected by a scouting Mm agent to your town. And so my mom's like, yep you're going to go to college. So I went to college, um, the University of Houston, I picked the easiest degree, which was psychology, because I was like, Oh, I like it. My older brother, who's an engineer, and my other brother does something in oil and gas, like, Oh, you're not gonna make any money being a psychologist, unless you have a master's or a PhD. That's just a pipe dream. It's so lazy. And just all of this stuff. So then when I got my first oil and gas, oil and gas job, um, that job taught me, you know, responsibilities, and I had to work you know, my way up from the the bottom to the top. But it also taught me that if I worked for myself, I didn't need to depend on my parents to give me money for the things that I wanted to buy. So fast forward, I ended up changing my major from psychology to supply chain and logistics. I did two years in psychology, and then I changed my degree. And you know what, I realized that everything in life happens for a reason. And sometimes we have to go on those zigzag paths for ourselves, because it's going to teach us Something in the long run not just what our parents teach us but it's going to teach us who we are what we enjoy and why we were created what's our mission what's our purpose and i know you jerry you were previously a pharmacist so my question for you was did you feel like you needed to go to pharmacy school because your parents led you there or was it something that you personally wanted to do
1: well (laughs) it's an interesting uh it's an interesting path, for sure, because originally I was pre-med by default. Um, you know, I had, I grew up with two cousins early on in life, and they both each went to Harvard and went to medical school. So that was a pretty high bar to set. And you know, I remember my mom planted the question when I was like in fourth grade. You want to be a doctor, too, right? I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. OK, you know, and um, when I got to see in organic chemistry, uh, you know, that pretty much I thought, OK, so much for that. Um you know, and there are a number of factors that led to that, but ultimately I have to own up to the fact that I didn't have a clear reason for becoming a doctor other than, Oh, I want the good life. Right. Or, you know, this is what others expected of me. And that's not nearly a strong enough reason to jump through all the hoops that it takes to finish a medical degree. Um, in contrast to my best friend from high school is a pediatrician, always loved being around kids, you know, had a heart for kids, has a, you know, a, a growing practice, uh, you know, Um, when, once he finished med school and, you know, you can tell, like he knew from the get go, he wanted to be a doctor and, you know, not all of us are so fortunate to have that clear, uh, purpose discovered by the time you finish high school or even before that, but um, so yeah, I still had a heart for healthcare, you know, my, my grandpa was, uh, practicing medicine in Taiwan for over 50 years. So, um, you know, I'd still liked the idea of having a career in healthcare. So I said, well, you know, if I'm too afraid to get rejected from med school, what else can I still pick? And so I said, well, you know, pharmacy school sounds reasonable. Let me convince pharmacy school. I'd make a good pharmacist and you know, let's try this out. And so, um, it was ultimately my choice. Uh, whether people say I settled for it or not, you know, that's up for debate. Uh, The real interesting thing happened, though, is when I was about to graduate and my mom um, had a job in mind for me. Um, We both won. I thought a chain pharmacy job would be reasonable, but the chain she wanted me to work for was different than the one I wanted for myself. And um, I just didn't have the energy or conflict, you know, in me to disagree with my mom at that point. I was just at a point where I was just like, okay, look, she's keeps pushing this. All right. I'll just going to give in. And so I worked for this chain immediately realized that I've, I'm, you know, I'm not happy with my job and with my choice. And so I, I vent a lot of frustration at her. And, you know, at one point, the irony was I actually got complacent with the job because at one point I had a really good work schedule. I had flexibility and, you know, good quality of life. And so I said, Hey, you know, this isn't so bad. I know how rare this is. So I need to make the most of this. And I was just afraid to leave even those other opportunities with more possibly uh, more satisfying, you know, job opportunities, you know, were left on the table because I knew I was just like, we know, vacation is the most important thing. Right. And so once that went away, when it transferred stores again, I became unhappy again. So after a really bad customer service incident, at, my, at the last store I worked for them for, um, I said, well, you know, I have to do something different. Um, I've always had a heart for teaching pharmacy students. Um, let me see how, if I can get a, a teaching job somehow. Don't have a PhD or residency because I wasn't working on my career at all. But a friend of mine who worked for a consulting company here in Houston said, hey, you know, uh, my previous job is open since I got promoted teaching students. Um, do you want to apply for it? I said, absolutely. You know, so I aced the interviews, convinced them I'm worth taking a chance on. I'm walking. Away, I get an offer, so now I'm walking away from a full-time job with benefits to a part-time job um, at a lower pay rate, no less, at, with the chance of earning my way into a full-time job with this company that you know, all my friends were jealous because they knew how much uh, they loved. It. You know, we all respected and loved this company, and you know that was what. That, the, but and you know, initially the honeymoon phase was great. You know, I'm living in Houston, living with a friend, um, you know, enjoying this newfound freedom. And then 11 months later, I got fired. And it's just kind of like, no, it's my fault. I mean, I ultimately just didn't do the work of becoming a credible instructor. I like the idea of it, but ultimately just didn't want to do the work. And you learn quickly that your boss is paying you to get a job done. And stories about why you didn't get the job done um, are not an adequate substitute. (laughs) And I did not learn that or appreciate that in full until number one, after I got fired, number two, I became a boss because when I've heard people say the same things to me, when I confront them about work that hasn't gotten done and I say to myself, Oh my goodness, this is, and I tell them, I'm like, I've said the things you've said to me, it doesn't work. So um, yeah. So that's the first taste of the career journey. And then the the career roller coaster took some pretty sharp turns after that. So about six weeks after I, I get fired from this job, I end up at an independent pharmacy house of cards where four of my paychecks bounced as I filled for crooked doctors. And so that was a really, really bad situation. And uh, again, very conflict diverse, you know, don't like fights. I don't like dealing with difficult situations. And so how do you confront the boss who's clearly ripping you off? Right. And um, yeah, after nine months of that, my friends got me out of that job, got me into another job. That was more legitimate, but money was tight to the point where they couldn't pay me more than eight hours a week. And so I said, you know, what do I do? And they said, well, you can get more hours if you cover out our Austin location, which for those of you not familiar with Texas geography is about two and a half hours away. Uh, could be, oh, I could end up in worse places, but it just wasn't home. And so uh, working out there with no idea what my life is going to look like at this point, because now, you know, Houston felt like home. I wanted to come back to Houston, but no idea how. And that summer I was asked to help um, teach some leadership seminars, to pharmacy leadership nonprofit, some of my friends run. And um, teaching leadership was kind of the, the, you know, the spark that said, hey, you know what, maybe I could actually be good at leadership. And so when a full-time manager position opened up in Houston a couple months later, I said, I, I'm ready to come home. I can't be scared of this challenge. Let me go ahead and take this on. I proceeded to get ridden up the following year because my technicians were not pulling their weight and I was not confronting them, disciplining them or firing them. And, you know, again, just some really tough lessons that, you know, things about myself, I didn't want to admit to that I knew I had to get better at. Um, Thankfully, I get out of the doghouse right before the company has the funding pulled. And um, the only reason I got another interview with a different company was that I had leadership experience on my resume. So I tell people, hey, leadership saved my career. And even as I got more job options, they still didn't last very long um and so my previous job when it went under four years ago due to insurance drama and other things I said hey you know I'm tired of finding insurance companies I'm tired of chasing doctors for prescriptions but I love teaching these leadership workshops what if I had a career in in doing this full-time what would that look like what kind of work would that involve and so still very scared of failure and rejection um it took a pandemic before I finally said how much longer can I afford to put this off so okay Last October, I filed the LLC, got the website up, you know, got the bank account open, and it's still try, struggle, fail. Like I'm still working full time as a pharmacist, even as I'm building up my side business, um, and uh, yeah, just uh, tutoring on the side to help stabilize cash flow. Like you know, you got to scrap to you know survive, right? And so, um, how it also niched down to Asian American leaders kind of come full circle with our original question, right? This is why did I niche down to this? It's well, in a way. I didn't necessarily choose it. It chose me between all the personal and professional conflicts I've dealt with. um, Yeah, learned a lot of interesting lessons along the way and I just want to be able to share them.
0: Amazing, because like I heard the ups and downs. I heard the U-turns. I heard the roundabouts. But during each trial that you had in tribulation, there was a valuable lesson that you learned. And those Mm -hmm. valuable lessons that you learned, Jerry, allowed you to really push it over into the bucket of you building your leadership workshops and you learning how to help navigate conflicts, then you brought into the table conflict resolution. You brought that to the table with Asian American leaders because you went through it and it's your experiences that has given you the weight to talk about how do you deal with conflict How do you overcome those challenges whenever you may be in a workforce with somebody who does not respect, you know, minorities, someone who deals with microaggressions, someone who is paid significantly lower than their counterparts, even though you're doing the same amount of work? And then, depending on where you live, because I live in Houston too. Houston mm-hmm. is a red state. And this is not to talk about politics, but sometimes mm-hmm. when you're a minority and you work in a certain organization, you are not paid fairly. Mm-hmm in comparison to your counterparts and it's like pulling teeth to get your adequate pay to not necessarily be seen but to be heard. Sometimes they give you a seat at the table, but they want you to sit there and look pretty and I'm like I'm not here for that. I have the, you know, the experience. I have a degree, you know, I know what I bring to the table and so many things. And then if you speak up too loud or too frequently, they want to label you as aggressive or the angry black woman or whatever other forms of microaggression they say about a person who is non-melanated, a person that is non-Caucasian or et cetera. And that's not okay because at the end of the day, we all work for the same organization. We all have the same end goal in mind. So why is one individual treated differently than another? And I'm so glad that you are stepping up to the plate to work with Asian American leaders so they could lead from within And while they're leading from within, they are making those ripple effects that is helping others externally. Does that make sense?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. You know, on on one hand, you want to be able to, you want to be able to speak up without looking like you're retaliating in some way, right? You want to be able to say, Hey, you know, what you did wasn't, wasn't considerate. It's, you know, it's not respectful and we shouldn't condone it. And, you know, in my efforts, not to simply lash out, um, let's talk about a better way to, to handle our, our relationship so that, yeah, we're both going to be held accountable for, for bad behavior.
0: Exactly. And I know you're still in pharmacy right now while you're building your side business. Are there any tips and tricks that you would love to leave the listeners and viewers with?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, One framework we use and that's come about in the conversations I've had uh, is the five C's of of conflict resolution. Five. Yeah. One, two, three, four, five. Just kidding. Um, For those of you who know that reference, um, the first step or the first C is compassion. Have compassion for the other person. There are people like you. They have feelings like you um, you're just two people talking. So, Hey, you know what treat, if you want to be treated gently in a situation like this, maybe you do the same for the other person, right? Do the other guy a favor. So number two is courage. Hey, if you care enough about someone speak out, right? You can't afford to stand the sideline. You're not just going to, if someone is heading toward a cliff and they don't realize it, I mean, you're going to say something, right? That's the loving thing to do. Um, No one would just say, oh, well, yeah, they're heading toward a cliff, but I don't want to upset them. So I'm just not going to say anything. Uh, But that's how we treat conflict. Um, Oh, that fire is not big. Like, let me just let it burn a little longer. And when it gets really big, then, you know, when it needs an extinguisher, let's put it out. It's like, no, 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 don't 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 wait. Um, Number three is curiosity. Hey, I only know so much about the situation. I can tell myself a story with the data that I'm missing, which I can justify, but may not be accurate let me hear some other perspectives right let me hear the other side of the story let me see what you know kind of have some empathy learn some learn some other things make sure i account for my own blind spots because i know my limitations as a human being so let me get curious and have a genuine interest in their side of the things number four is collaboration let's move to the same side of the table hey you know what um we're not you know this report was due on friday at five it didn't get done um i need your help right because that report was a lot was counting on that report there's a lot of information that our boss needed in that report uh, to move things forward with our project right so let's move to the same side of the table how do we make sure that this doesn't happen again what do you what do you need from me as your leader what kind of extra support do you need what else uh, do you want to do differently so that we both can make sure that this gap gets filled and then finally um aim for closure right the final c hey I am so glad we had this conversation. I'm so happy that, you know, we are able to work on a solution together and that we we're able to restore our working relationships so that, you know, it's not gonna be awkward uh, seeing, us, seeing each other around um, after, after mistakes like this, right? We wanna be able to um, have an environment where people aren't afraid to make mistakes and people aren't afraid to own up to them and to do their part to make sure uh, that we learn from them and prevent future ones from being made. So those are the five Cs that uh, have come about in, in our conversations on conflict.
0: Those are some great C's and I took notes, Jerry. So just to recap listeners and viewers, number one was compassion, have compassion. Number two was courage. Three, curiosity. Four, collaboration. And five, closure. The five C's of conflict resolution with Jerry Boo. And Jerry, I want you to tell the listeners and viewers of GEM's podcast, once again, who you are, how they could connect with you on social media and leave us with your CTA. Call to action.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. You can find me on LinkedIn if you want to connect with me there and uh, continue conversations. But all the real good stuff you can find at the website, which is www.adaptingleaders.com. Um, from there, there's a free guide you can download on handling hard conversations, which was you know, my personal framework that I've developed over many, many failures. Um, you can also schedule a complimentary 30-minute call, which is about $100 in value just to say, hey, I want to share my story. I have a situation I'd like your help on. No strings attached. Hey, just reach out. That's all complimentary. right? Um, and also, there's a free blog uh, where I summarize useful and interesting leadership literature and also offer some other life hacks. And so, you know, check out the website. So yeah, um, if I that that would be my call to action. Just check out the website. There are formal coaching packages if you or your organization you think would be a good fit for my help. Uh, you know, yeah, we can talk further. But for right now, hey, just check out a w, uh, www.adaptingleaders.com.
0: And there you have it. Listeners and viewers of GEMS Podcast with Genesis Lamaris Kemp, you just heard Jerry Fu, and we talked about conflict resolution with Asian American leaders and leadership. So all of his contact information will be in the show notes, so make sure you read, 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 and check out his website so you could plug in with him. He's offering a 30-minute free consultation call that is value at a hundred dollars. So that's an amazing steal because it's free 99. And then he also has a blog and other amazing things. And I just want to leave you all with this. Make sure you don't shrink back because you're afraid to have a courageous conversation with someone who has an opposing viewpoint to you. We are all human beings We all have something valuable to say, but how you say it and how you react to a situation is going to determine the outcome. And until we chat next time, peace, love, and lots of blessings. Have yourself an amazing day. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on the audio platform you're listening to. And follow us on YouTube, Gems with Genesis Amoris Kemp. Signing out, Genesis Amoris Kemp and Jerry Fu. Bye, everybody.